to Season 6, Episode 5 on Kasamahan Ko. Today on the podcast, I'm so excited and I know I always say I'm so excited in every podcast episode, but in particularly because I'm always really excited really talking stories with people who have been in Hawaii, especially born and raised, and is doing great work where they are now in continuing the spread of cultural advocacy, cultural awareness, in regards just taboo topics in our culture. And this guest in particular, I met them through Philippine Health Initiative, now called Kapo Health Collective, and it was actually this organization that really got me to where I am now is this advocacy of mental health and spreading awareness of just cultural in general in my community, especially here in Hawaii, and to really get that conversation going is through them. So shout out to you guys. And I'm really, again, thankful for this podcast guest because I feel like um, through our connections, it really helped like tie in so much and like things. And without further ado, I will be briefly introducing them because they will also be introducing them in the podcast. So. They was born and raised in the town of Wahiva on the island of Oahu in the occupied kingdom of Hawaii. Kanye relocated to Ramitash Ohlone ancestral lands after spending four years in Duwamish ancestral lands studying, working, and teaching. Tammy's professional and cultural work is influenced by Filipino grassroots organization in the U.S. and the Philippines. She, she they, is also part of Kapwa Health Collective, a grassroots Filipino health-centered organizing and education collective. And, and just to kind of like as a disclaimer, because I did say she, they, um, her personal pronouns is she, they, he, and all pronouns, uh, as she mentioned in the podcast. So if you're listening and you kind of hear me like stuttering or stumbling, it's because it's my personality. I'm very awkward. Just a disclaimer out there. And not to misgender anyone. But um, without further said and do, I will continue with the rest of the podcast because we it, we talk about so many things and I feel like if you got me talking now it's gonna end up being a two-hour episode and with that said I'm really excited for you guys to listen so yeah and to get started with the podcast the questions that I'll be asking personally is what is your name profession, personal pronoun, and do you consider yourself as first gen, 1.5, second, third, fourth, or fifth generation? And give a little background about who you are to the audience. And if you could describe yourself in a Filipino food, cuisine, dessert, you name it, your personality, or... Sure, sounds good. Yeah, um, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Kami Yamamoto. Um, 
any pronouns is fine with me. Uh, she, they, he. Um, I'm currently uh, gonna be finishing my uh, master's program. Um, I'm currently a master of public health candidate at San Francisco State University. Um, and then also a, a community organizer as well. Um, and I would say, yeah, I'm like third, fourth generation uh, Filipino-American, um, born and raised in uh, Wahewa um, on the island of Oahu uh, in the occupied kingdom of Hawaii. Uh, I relocated uh, from Duwamish lands, uh, Seattle. I was there for about five years and then in 2019, I relocated to um, Ohlone lands or um, here in the San Francisco Bay Area. So that's currently where I am now, um, studying, working, organizing. Um, and I'm also part of uh, Kapua Health Collective, which I was used to be known as a Philippinex Health Initiative. Um, and we're a grassroots Philippinex Health-centered organization. I feel like that's a a bridge version of my It really is. And to get down to the funner side of the question is if you could describe your personality in a Filipino dish, food, dessert, what would it be and why? Yeah, I would say um this is a good question. I would say probably like peanut bed, which is also one of my favorite I would say probably my favorite dish. I love pinak bit um but i would say that because i feel like there's a little bit of everything like i feel like when you first kind of meet me um in different spaces uh you might see me as like very or i've been told very like disciplined very serious but then i feel like when people kind of get to know me they realize how goofy and like, I joke a lot, like, um, you know, like, I guess all these kinds of different personalities, um, like a mix of personalities, so, uh, kind of like Pinakbet, you know, there's like a little bit of everything. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and I think when you mentioned your own favorite dish is that um, Pinakbet also, they can be made in, it can be found in different um, region in Hawaii, in, in the Philippines and like the same thing as you, you relocated many different locations in um, the Kingdom of Hawaii, Seattle, in Seattle, um, California. So I really feel like that really, really best fits you the most <laughs> now that you mentioned it. So um, a little bit more about who you are is especially since you did mention how you relocated, um, how was your upbringing like with your family? My dad is uh, Japanese, um, Japanese Korean. Uh, he was born and raised on Kauai, um, in a small town. His, uh, you know, family migrated there. Um, kind of opened up a small business in a a former plantation town in Koloa. Um, and so I experienced that a lot. Like growing up, I would uh, visit my family, that side of my family on Kauai a lot. Um, but I I, always, I also like, you know, was um, raised on Oahu um, in Oahewa, 
that's kind of where my family uh, took root after they uh, migrated from the Philippines, at least my mom's side. Um, they're from uh, mostly like Ilocos, um, like Ilocosur, um, but my uh, grandma, her mom is from Cebu. Um, so yeah, like I, I kind of grew up with both cultures a little bit. Um, and yeah, like I honestly, uh, I couldn't even really tell what like distinguishing different cultures growing up in Hawaii. Uh, cause I feel like it's, you know, a mix of, of different cultures. Um, I couldn't tell what was Filipino, what was Japanese. I would, uh, in my house, like they use a lot of Japanese and Filipino um, words, like interchangeably. Um, so I was really confused growing up. I didn't know what was which, and um, yeah, and uh, it wasn't until I went to the Philippines for the first time and um, hearing what I thought was Ilocano, uh, which was actually Visayan. Um, so yeah, it, it was really interesting, but. Um, I would say growing up, I, I didn't realize how, uh, fortunate I was to grow up in a community that's so close knit, um, you know, in a, in a place where your parents or, you know, like, uh, your neighbors like watched me and like my family grow up. Um, I feel like that's not something that you really find out here on the continent. Um, yeah, and I mean, it, like, uh, I always tell people here, like, growing up, I, uh, I was surrounded by, you know, brown people, people that look like me, and I feel like a lot of people don't really have that experience growing up out here, um, in, in both places, in Seattle and also, like, the uh, city in, in San Francisco where I am now. Yeah, so I was really fortunate, you know, to grow up in a place like Hawaii, for sure. Thank you for sharing and kind of transitioning along as you, you mentioned, especially uh, growing up in Hawaii, you grew up with people um, who, in a really close-knit community where everyone looks like you, um, they really felt like caring, compassionate to always look after you. And moving into mainland where everything is very individualistic and people always do their um, own thing. Uh, I wanted to ask, have you actually struggled with embracing your cultural identity? Yeah, I mean, um, I think growing up, uh, for me as an individual, growing up, uh, people would see my last name, you know, Yamamoto, and they would kind of get confused because they see me and they see this, like, person who doesn't look Japanese, um, or because I'm brown, and, uh, yeah, I, I think I really struggled growing up, uh, even though, you know, I was surrounded by people who look like me, um, it, it kind of just felt like I had to pick between either being, you know, embracing my Japanese culture, um, which I think was a lot more easy for me. Um, my uh, mom's side of the family, which 
I live with in um, in Wahiawa, um, they actually worked in Japan because um, uh, like on the Navy bases, um, and so yeah, it, it what it seemed a lot easier to like embrace my Japanese culture, um, like with traditions or uh, yeah, really anything. Um, and it wasn't really until I left Hawaii um, where I kind of embraced my like Filipino side um, and and like sought opportunities to learn more because uh, I think you know growing up um, that wasn't yeah like I, I think I was really ashamed of like that part of me um, I kind of just wanted to be seen at, like you know people read me as Japanese they see my last name and I think that's the way I wanted to be seen um, and it wasn't really until I was on my own and forced to kind of confront and reflect on why you know I didn't embra- embrace that part of me um, yeah and, and that was tough you know to like really reflect on like the internalized like shame and um trauma especially like uh the colorism you know uh things that are really like i i uh experienced like really personally um yeah so i would say like that was like a huge struggle for me uh but now i think as a adult i've kind of learned how to like um what am i trying to say I guess, like, not seeing it in this, like, binary way, you know, like, I'm either, like, Japanese or Filipino, like, um, I can be both, and, like, that's totally fine, that's, like, who I am, uh, so, yeah, yeah, hopefully that answers your question. (laughs) No, it honestly did, and I really... Overall, thank you for being vulnerable, but because this is your personal narrative, and when you were sharing um, things that were kind of going in my head, is that um, it it was easier to really embrace more of the East Asian side more than our brownness side because growing up in Hawaii, we, there's a lot of um, it's a mix mix cultures and. It's a melting pot of different Asians, and also with the Pacific Islanders, we tend to not really look into our own Filipino community. We just see them as like all their our fellow um, aunties and uncles, our family, and it's it's really when you're you're not with them, like we're not the community is like oh where's all of my brown community why is there all white community like why you feel like like correct me if i'm like you feel kind of left out so it took you an initiative to like really learn more about because why because it's in those spaces that you feel kind of like the black yeah 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 like um you know like being out here on the continent, like it's it's different, you know, when you're in spaces that are majority white folks, and um, you or for me, like I I felt like I uh, was navigating spaces really differently, um, 
trying to like be or I was like hyper aware of uh, the fact that I don't look like the people here I don't talk like the people here you know even the little things like pigeon sometimes like I'll say that and people are just like I don't know what you're talking about you know like stuff like that and um yeah like I, I it wasn't until like I moved out here when I realized like oh yeah it's different you know like being raised in Hawaii um yeah and and I think people just um yeah you don't really like no, you know, unless like, unless you're raised in Hawaii, I feel like. <laughs> I wanted to actually ask about like the pigeon because being in Hawaii, like we we hear pigeon a lot, and then like if we move and we try to, I feel when when did you actually wait? I don't know if I if you answered this, but on what age did you move to the mainland? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I moved when I was 18 years old. Um, so right after I finished high school, um, I went to uh, St. Francis um, in Manoa. Uh, it, it shut down, but um, yeah, I went there. It was a small private school, um, graduated, and then uh, I was really like eager to leave. Like I, I really wanted to leave. I think um, I, f I felt like I had experienced all there was in Hawaii in you know the place that I grew up in and um, I wanted to find something new but yeah in regards to like the pigeon stuff like uh, yeah it's really interesting um, just thinking about how many uh, like loan words I, I was actually like doing <laughs> I'm like a I, I really am into like linguistics. Like I, I thought I wanted to go into linguistics uh, for a for a bit because I studied um, anthropology in undergrad. Um, so from time to time, I'll just like I don't know, search random stuff. But um, I was like really, I fell into a deep rabbit hole of like looking up different kind of loan words from different languages in you know in Hawaii. Um, a lot of which like. Uh, is a part of like pigeon um, even something like uh, you know like Hanabata's right like we we hear that like growing up <laughs> and then like but like it's it's rooted in like a Japanese like like word um, yeah so it, it's really interesting I think uh, or you know even even something like bocha I know that's like not um filipino but like um yeah like even i'll like say that and then my housemates are just like i don't know what you're talking about or like you know like it it just comes out and um yeah like i i guess it's just like a constant reminder that um like i said before like you know i didn't grow up uh like I just grew up in a different place, um, other than, like, compared to people who, um, like, my housemates currently, they're pretty much, like, born and raised, um, or a few of them are born and raised here in San Francisco, and, um, yeah, you know, different upbringing, um, yeah, yeah. I, I really love that you brought up Pigeon and linguistic because like being a Japanese and Filipino uh, Pigeon is like in like historical wise that's 
how the plantation workers um, communicated to themselves and like it kind of brings back to like how even growing up in growing up Filipino growing up Japanese in Hawaii like we have our own little language to communicate with each other that you don't really get when you're like in mainland so like that also brings into like our really perspective and also I, I kind of like want to validate you on like the linguistic part because I took a like, linguistic course last semester and I fell in love with it because learning about like the different uh, languages um, and especially like there's so much in connection to our identity of a language so um, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too like because uh, you know the reason why my family migrated to Hawaii is to work in the plantations um, and that's a huge part of my family's history in in Hawaii and um, you know like I'm not, I'm not gonna lie like growing up I I would try really hard my like my my mom is a full full blown like tita like she you know both of my parents they they talk like hardcore pigeon and um growing up like you know I I really tried to distinguish myself from that like I was like I you know um wanted to sound like a like a mainland person I you know like um and it's strange to think about that now and, and kind of like what I was saying earlier, like the internalized kind of shame, you know, I had like growing up in a working class, you know, uh, immigrant family, even though generations in Hawaii. Um, yeah, yeah. So uh, I totally feel you on that. Exactly. And kind of transitioning along with that is how do you see yourself with your culture? cultural identity from before now? I think you pretty much answered it, but if you wanted to a little bit elaborate more, because I feel like you have a lot to share on that. I feel like once you get me started, like talking, like I can just talk, like, <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. I think kind of like I shared, um, you know, that was really how I saw myself in relation to my cultural identity. Um, this like binary, um, I had to pick one or the other. Um, and and then in a lot of ways like really distancing myself from how i grew up and and who raised me um like the things that i i took for granted um and so now and i think a huge part of this uh how i see myself now in relation to my culture cultural identity is um yeah, largely due to like my involvement in uh, community organizing work with, um, you know, Filipino grassroots movements. Um, now I have a better grasp on, you know, the kinds of things that my, uh, like little things, even if it's just like the kinds of internalized shame that my family members um, like embodied um, I understand why, uh, kind of like why they are the way they are, and it's because of different conditions that have, um, pushed and pulled them in, like, a lot of different ways, um, you know, starting with, uh, migrating to Hawaii, where, um, you know, they were looking for, for economic opportunities for, away from my family members to succeed and they saw 
moving to to the U.S. like as a way to succeed. Um, like that is the grip that uh, the U.S. and specifically like U.S. imperialism has on our families, on a lot of our families, not just you know my own. Um, so I understand that now um, and why you know um, why the the need to I guess position yourself as close to whiteness as possible like why that exists you know the whole model minority type of stuff like um, I now understand that like that is this system purposefully pitting black and brown folks against one another um so i guess long story short like <laughs> i think being involved in organizing work has really helped me to deepen my analysis um on why you know why things are the way they are um not just for myself as an individual or for my family but on a larger level on a systemic level um, and yeah, like I, I think I've just like learned a lot. Um. Thank you for that, especially that you mentioned about in it. It took for you to um, in involving within organizing work to really have a sense of understanding of why the thing, why things are the way they are. And bringing forward, especially going up in Hawaii, growing up um, in the Kingdom of Hawaii, um, I wanted to actually have your thoughts on it because I know Hawaii is technically not part of the U.S. What do I think about just like growing up in Hawaii as a as a someone who came from like immigrant like family? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think it's really complex. Like, I, um, my dad's um, stepmom is actually like Native Hawaiian, and uh, that's like the side of the family that lives on Kauai. Um, and so, growing up, like I was really fortunate that a lot of her traditions, like her Native. Hawaiian traditions like she still practices and honors and yeah like I was really fortunate to see to see that um and I guess like again like it wasn't until I was I left home when I realized kind of just how complicated that relationship is between like settlers like ourselves um and the natives who, you know, don't have access to the same kinds of resources that we do. Um, and yeah, I think that's like tough to grapple with, you know, as uh, someone who, um, like, I guess it, it's not a black or white type of thing. Like, um, there's no way to reduce the experience or like I guess the contradictions between like settlers in Hawaii and like native people to just something that's based on identity but I mean I, I yeah this is like a larger conversation but you know I, I always like think about there there's a book that I was reading on um, I can't think of the 
author but i think it's called like pohana and then it's there's like a subtitle but it talks about like plantation life and like how you know when europeans came right to colonize like hawaii and they essentially like exploited native hawaiians and when native hawaiians were they weren't seen as a viable source of labor that's when they started to extract labor from other places and and then that's why there are so many different migrants that came to hawaii right from like japan and the philippines and portugal even you know like like all these people were seen as different alternatives to like labor and like i feel like that still continues on today where a lot of people are kind of seen as like in a hierarchy so yeah i mean like i guess like that's maybe not your question but like i i guess i always kind of think of that like how the ways that even our community members you know like treat native hawaiian people or, or have this idea of like native hawaiians even though we're on their ancestral lands um yeah so really like complex honestly like i i didn't even know how to formulate that question into one but when you were talking it kind of like put all together all the things that i've read about i think and also the book that you're mentioning is it pohana plantation life and labor in hawaii yeah i think so yeah okay because i was searching it up when you were talking i'm just like everything now like his history you think it's not gonna happen again but it is happening like the amount of exploitation that's currently being seen but no one kind of recognizes it because it's kind of like the norm of how people mm -hmm. yeah yeah i mean history definitely repeats itself it, it might it might not look the same but you know it's yeah in a lot of different ways i think like new new conflicts like arise within that question within itself for you, what does reclaiming your Filipinx identity? Yeah, I would I would say um, reclaiming my Filipinx identity. What that means to me is going beyond just this like normative ideals of what it means to be Filipino. You know, though they're essential parts of like who we are, like food and family and faith, those kinds of things. I think that we also have as Filipinos like need to understand and dig a little deeper in terms of like why things are the way they are you know like kind of going back to what I was saying earlier there are a lot of reasons why these kinds of ideals are are associated with being Filipino and I mean I honestly have like I mentioned earlier with organizing like th this you know framework that I have like is largely due to like community organizing too. Also the people that I met in the Philippines when I went on a medical mission with NAFCON and that really like sparked this interest in me and wanting to like dig deeper and to really understand the things that like we take for granted. So I would say like, you know, it's not just about representation and, and seeing identity as face value. In order to truly be free from these oppressive systems, it's not just simply about trying to decolonize ourselves i think we have to understand also our history like our our people's really rich revolutionary history and use that as a basis for how we're going to move forward in a way that's really grounded in in our history um in our our people's resistance i think that is how we're truly going to be liberated
and and that has to center you know the people their families you know like the the working class like people who are the most exploited and oppressed and like i i always think about like my family and like they are the ones that i do this work for uh, organizing work that i do it's so people like my family they don't have to face the same kind of oppressive systems and you know hopefully that happens like in our lifetime but yeah that's i think like the bigger picture in essence yeah digging a little deeper beyond just what we kind of normally associate with being filipino i would say exactly and i was actually i kept my i think my cheeks kind of hurt from smiling because you kind of bring up a good point <laughs> like when you were saying like i think a lot of people when we see and hear filipino people want to identify themselves as that but the bigger picture and like i really like that you mention it is that people need to see that there's more than just what we see on the media that makes us filipino that's not all who we are i feel like that's just the that's just a little bit the surface level filipino you have to really go beyond and really ask question about your family ask question about the history about where we came from and and all the accurate sources for it because being filipino it it's even the term Filipino, like what we both know, it's not technically our term to be called to begin with and there's more to research about it. But I think really encouraging like what you said, like really taking the initiative to stepping out and if you have opportunities like what you mentioned, like to grow your identity of like being uncomfortable with what's Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it's hard, you know, like it's hard to really unlearn all the things that you really internalize. Like I, I, I strongly believe like that will come out like a stronger person. You know, you kind of have to like go through and not to like normalize like struggle, you know, like it's a, it's a really personal struggle, I think. And not everybody is up for that um, to really interrogate the things that they really like believe in i do think like that's given me a stronger sense of my identity as being like filipino yeah and kind of follow-up question and especially being a mixed identity of both japanese and hawaiian uh, japanese and filipino and coming from hawaii is and also living in San Francisco now is how are you incorporating what you learned previous years to the work that you're doing now? That's also a big question. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think for the longest time, you know, I thought that I wanted to just go straight through school. I, I thought that, you know, I, I knew I was good at reading and writing and I saw getting my PhD as like the natural trajectory for me. And then I started this program, like, you know, like a couple years ago, I was, I like, uh, accepted, uh, got accepted into this program and decided to come. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to finish this program, go straight into my PhD and like, I'll figure out the rest afterwards. And it wasn't until I, I went on that medical mission with NAFCON, which forced me to like come to terms with like, who am I actually doing this work for? Like, I, I genuinely believe that I would be able to legitimize my experiences through academia, through institutions, and what I learned in like integrating with with people in the Philippines and having more conversations is that 
you know, institutions will, will never really truly understand the experiences of our communities. And, and that's also coming from somebody who's like also working within these institutions. It's very hard to push an institution that's that's so set on, like, it, you know, it, it operates how it's supposed to, which means excluding people like us from these spaces. Um, and so I think that through that experience with, with the medical mission, moving here to the Bay Area, finding like-minded folks and yeah, really unlearning those tendencies and like like ideals that I had about succeeding in institutions. That was hard, but I think that helped me to really understand like who I'm doing this work for, which isn't for myself. Like, you know, I think the work that I do with Kapwa Health Collective, we really try to have a critical perspective on health, not just looking at health as an individual experience, but like on a community level, on a system level. And I think that's always something that I'm trying to bring into our the spaces that we facilitate. And you know, like a part of that is, is like public health perspective, that public health lens of, you know, social determinants of health or pr- primary prevention, all those kinds of things. But I think really when it comes down to it, it's like, and, and again, this is, what I realized in integrating with people in the Philippines is like, you know, people need to be given the opportunities to thrive. And more often than not, these systems that are in place aren't built to do that. And so it, it takes a lot of like personal like unlearning and remolding. But I think something that really drives me is seeing the potential in in like collective power I think like you know going back to like my aspirations to go right into my PhD like I thought that I could just do that I could change these systems on my own from the inside out and and now I realize like that's not possible you know like change will come from the people in order to do that like you need to build genuine relationships with people you need to meet people where they're at and that's not easy it's something i'm like still learning where we're gonna find genuine change and genuine like liberation um is through like collective power and so i think that's like something that i've i've learned over the years through the people that i've met uh, and something that i always try to like hold on to uh, in this work and then you know just in general in life i kind of had chicken skins like right when you were speaking because <laughs> when you said um you when you were aspiring to going to phds that you could change the system all by yourself but it really took you um through, through the experiences you went through that it really is a collective work and it's through building like genuine connection relationship and having conversation with people to really understand where they are at that we can do this work like we can change the system with just the right like-minded set people that we are going this for and like i don't know like each time you talk like i keep getting chicken skins and like for those of you who are not in hawaii like chicken skins is like um i don't know how to explain it this is like you're just Still tingle tingles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think um, they call it a uh, goose goosebumps out here. But yeah, I I prefer chicken skin. I feel like that's more accurate. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like 
plus two, right? Like, that's not to say that people who do have these aspirations, like, like aren't aren't going to be a part of this collective power that we're building. There's room for, like, everybody in the movement. That's a fact. But it's, like, how are you creating these small unities with people and and in a genuine way, right? Not just because, like, oh, we need to, you know, it's, like, majority versus minority, right? Like, we're not going to, like, build a movement with that kind of mentality. Like, we really need to genuinely understand and and build relationships with people. Um, and, yeah, from, from, you know, you don't have to be, like, a, a community organizer to do that. Um, there are a lot of different ways to do that. Um, but I think it's just having that, like, yeah, those basic unities and having this uh, similar vision for, like, what we're trying to achieve for ourselves and, like, for our people. But, um, yeah. Exactly, like, you don't need to have, like, a leadership power to do something. Like, even a simple person, just by sharing your story, just by listening to them, and you don't have to talk, just listening to them. I guess now, if you were given the opportunity, well, you are given the opportunity to give a speech in front of, like, a, a large amount of audience, and you were to give an advice to high school students, middle school students, especially especially with everything going on hold on to the things that you're you're passionate about for me that's combining community work community organizing with health equity holistic health and um early childhood development that's something those are things that i i find genuine passion and joy in um and those are things that i've carried throughout my life though you know I, I might not have had the language for it like these are things that I always knew I was passionate about um yeah so I would say like hold on to that and even if it doesn't seem like there's a linear path or like a straight path for you to just you know go from one uh one milestone to the next you know like I I do believe that there's a way to make your passions align um, with whatever you're doing and wherever you're dedicating your time to. Um, yeah, and, um, you know, it's it's scary. Like, I'm definitely not going to tell you otherwise. Like, it's scary when you're, when you're being told that, like, you know, what you're interested in or what you want to do with your time and your energy um, won't sustain you. Um, I know that was what it was for me, like, uh, you know, but I think, like, I always try to think in, like, the, the bigger picture, the long term, like, what's sustainable, and I would much rather do something that, you know, doesn't make the most money or, um, whatever it is, uh, but if I wake up every day and I, I feel excited to do it like I like I do now you know I, I look forward to our like health collective meetings and I look forward to like check-ins with people um I look forward to studying like readings with people because I know that like these are things that I enjoy and um yeah so I would just say like hold on to that and and there there will be opportunities for you to somehow make your the things you're passionate about align um and what you want to do in the long term to 
kind of like enough of that is where do you see yourself in the next 10 years? <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day because um, I, uh, this is a tangent, I like found my old Tumblr and like I, I saw this post that it was like, oh, things, you know, you should do before you're 25. And I was probably like 13, 14, 15. So, you know, it's, it's more or less like 10 years ago. I, I'm not, I'm 24. I'm going to turn 24. So not completely 10 years ago. But um, yeah, I feel like a lot, a lot has changed. Um, you know, if you would have asked me, like, like I said before, right, you, if you would have asked me five years ago where I would be, I would have told you in a PhD program, and I'm going to figure the rest out. Um, but I think right now, like, I just hope in the next 10 years or so, um, I'm doing something that I love and that gives me hope and makes me excited um, to do this work every day. Um, I feel like I'm slowly getting there, like I'm slowly starting to find my momentum in uh, the community organizing work that I do. Um, and yeah, just really excited to not be in school um, after I've kind of ditched that that uh, <laughs> that aspiration. Um, so yeah, I, I would say like just doing something that I enjoy um, and love doing and that makes me excited to wake up every day. I see you I see you doing that right now and I feel like with everything that is coming your way I feel like the the future is really ready for for you or yeah they're ready for you I was gonna say the future is like not ready for what's for you because there's so much you're gonna do I was trying to find a reframe it because you just I feel like you have a you are built to be like a really a revolutionary leader i really appreciate that yeah and I, I think i think everybody is you know like everybody can be built up that to be that um yeah yeah i i firmly believe that like i'm not just saying that because you know i'm on this podcast or whatever it is <laughs> like you know like, like i i strongly believe like any everybody has a has a place in in the movement um and everybody can be built up uh, to be a revolutionary um it just takes like the the personal like initiative you know to like really take that up and and to confront like the kinds of contradictions that you face um yeah and deal with that head on and uh yeah i'm i'm learning along the way but i really appreciate like you seeing me in that light, like I, yeah, like I'm really grateful um, to be able to talk to you and like to also have like met you too, you know, in, in spaces. Like I'm, yeah, I'm really glad that like our paths somehow aligned. It's funny because um, during the Philippine Excel Collective, when we were all sharing where we're from, and you said, Oh, I'm from Hawaii. I was like, Wait, there's someone from Hawaii here. And I was so excited because it's like, with all, I think that was the very first space that I actually joined in and like I didn't really realize how I liked it like you guys were so welcoming and open and like the space you guys kind of like 
day for everyone to just share out is that it was it's really meaningful and honestly like trying to echo back what you say like everyone has a has a place in this revolution like you don't have to be the one talking you can be the one writing notes you can be like painting yeah. you have you all have like a part in this yeah. it just takes one person to reach out yeah like it and it, it doesn't look the same for everybody right like like it, it looks totally different but once you have that that like light bulb moment and you like yeah you have that light bulb moment and you're like confronted with this choice of whether to continue on in the way that you have or like choosing a different way of navigating through life and like struggling that out like yeah like I I think I'm really grateful to you know have met folks who really challenged me in that way like it like in the Philippines and then also here um yeah like I, I with that to say um, especially with the community involvement couple collective is just that that's our value our main value in the Filipino is our sense of couple within each other um, our sense of looking out for one another make sure that everyone is doing well and that is exactly the the one of the greatest the greatest things our ancestors ever passed to us is our generational strengths of unity, kapwa bainihan, um, humility. Ten and tendency of the time we don't see that. Like we kind of associate more of our traumas than our strengths. But if we see the balance between both, like there's more of our traumas that we are. Like we're, our strengths is truly working together. And I feel like a lot of people kind of see that as a weakness. Like you have to do things on your own. Especially because learning through history-wise is that your your grandparents or your your mom or your or your dad they came here to immigrate to go with the American dream of going of like just providing for the family, especially our OFWs. But the things that we didn't read, didn't learn is how impactful it is to just work together to just ask for help know that it's okay everyone goes through this not goes through because we have different experiences but we all go through hardships of asking for help yeah and that's hard right like that's hard to like really unlearn that like and yeah like you know, it wasn't until really recently when I realized for myself that, like, like you're saying, you know, we're stronger, like, as a collective, and I can lean on people. Like, I feel, and I think, um, you know, I, when I left Hawaii, like, I thought that, like, I had to do all of this on my own. I had to carve my own path for myself, um, and that's not the case. Like, I, I feel like, you know, that's, like those experiences and leaving home or even growing up in Hawaii, like, um, they really like hardened me and, and kind of, uh, yeah, prevented me from, um, being vulnerable, asking for help, you know, leaning on other people. And, um, yeah, so 
and I think that's like uh, a, for a lot of people I think a lot of people can you know say similarly um, but again like that's this whole like systems kind of scheme is like for us to like silo ourselves um, and to like distract ourselves from all the things that are really happening um, and so it 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 does take us to um, you know see beyond that and like uh, what is, what is the saying like see behind the smoke screen or whatever it is like you know like to like really um, yeah like go beyond that um, but I think I wanted to close with this question that you guys posted on couple health because I feel like it's just so fitting with our conversation is um, the question is how can we Filipinex support each other through the Bainihan spirit in healing and recovery? Yeah, that was um I love that uh the video series that we did, um, like answering that question uh really like forced me to reflect. And um yeah, I think I would kinda just reiterate like what I've been blabbering about for the past hour is <laughs> like is uh, is um yeah like we will we will move forward or we can move forward in the Bayanihan spirit in unity um if we realize the potential in our in our collective power um to actively take steps towards uh unlearning the things that we've internalized like whether that's the trauma that we've experienced or the hardship um and not to say that like you know that we have to forget about it those are things that made us who we are now um but i think that in order to like move forward in, in healing and recovery especially during this time of covid in the pandemic like um you know like i, I think like we don't really have to or we already see these kinds of revolutionary forms of care um like already trying to or already existing like in this like current system if that if that makes sense like we see people who are uh you know like in the philippines right now they're doing like community pantries because the government isn't providing them any kind of support like I think that is in itself like a revolutionary act to be able to have the courage to, especially with, you know, the political climate there, um, to do something for the community knowing that you could very well be targeted for it. Um, obviously like different conditions that we face here in, in the US, but um, yeah, like I, I think that we, we don't have to think of like the most extravagant ways um, or, you know, extra extravagant like examples of like what it means to embody that by any Hun spirit um, to like support each other in healing and recovery. Like it's, it's really the everyday acts that people do that like bring us back to our, our core values um, of like collective power and, um, you know, collective identity, like, those are the things that will, like, help us to move forward, um, but it's, 
it's realizing the potential in that and seeing that as a valid form of like support you know not not just something that we're doing right now because our community is struggling but these are systems that can be sustained um if we're putting the resources and time towards just to sum everything up and everything that you're saying is that I really do get chicken skin every time we talk because there's so much power. <laughs> I know I keep saying that, but like it's so true. <laughs> like every time you talk, I'm just like, it's, it's, it really makes me wonder. Like, like that's why I like hearing stories. Is like there's so much power in everyone's story. Everyone, everyone, or what you go through, what you experience, and that really kind of will heal each other is like if we hear heal every heal ourselves through the stories sharing our stories and being able to be vulnerable with that and i think that is what we are community is especially in the asian community um, as for japanese and filipino for you are struggling with is dealing with our emotions and like understanding that like you know people everybody has their own struggles and like hardships um but it's like, how do we move forward in a united way, you know, to like support one another in recovering from those hardships? And, you know, like that's, again, hard, you know, like there are people who go their whole lives not recognizing the ways that they've internalized trauma, their trauma and like hardships and like really steal themselves because of that. Um, but, I think if, if people realize like what it means to really unpack that and like process that, like I, you know, even for my family, like, you know, like it's hard to have these conversations, but I think slowly, like, you know, kind of planting those seeds of like, um, yeah, of like kind of helping people to see that like it's not a bad thing to reach out for help or to lean on other people um to seek support whatever that looks like um yeah just to echo of what you say is that and something about like this being filipino in hawaii is that whenever anyone is just going through a hard or rough patch is that you can always call on an auntie or an uncle to just be there for you and they and you don't even and because in hawaii um we call each other auntie and uncle because everyone is so that's just so loving and is that the the specialty about just being in a filipino in hawaii or being in hawaii is that everyone can call each other on each other and that spirit of just brings in so much um, so much love that you really didn't know yeah corny as it like sounds like my my nana my um dad's stepmom um though you know he sees her as his mom like she always tells me like yeah like you know don't forget that like aloha and i feel like you know like of course people co-op that and like it's seen in like this really corny way like 
I still have people walking up to me when I tell them that I'm from Hawaii and then them saying like oh aloha you know like that type of stuff but like in the in the like truest form like I think like what you're talking about like that love that kindness and like um that genuine care for one another like that's aloha like that's like how we're showing our support for one another um and yeah that's like something that i i try to always remember like always trying to remember you know like where i came from who i am and i think like that's one of those things even though at times it's very corny uh, <laughs> so yeah like i i totally agree with you and to end it off is just this thing saying that i kind of put together is there's always a mabuhay with aloha <laughs> it's because in in because we know as mabuhay as like you're welcoming someone and aloha as love and if we embody those two together like we do have mabuhay with aloha the spirit of being able to love or scratch that like the act of revolutionary is to love it's bringing that mabuhay with aloha and like being able to care for one another be able to go beyond your comfort zone just to make sure that some that that person you see is okay like it doesn't have to be like going up randomly to a homeless person because we know that there's there's dangers of just randomly going up and not knowing like the background but going to the person that you're close with like your family member like going to your friend and making sure that they're okay because from there there, it will act as a ripple effect and with everything that we are doing and upholding and like going to now going through now is that that will that will really change our narratives and change the system essentially what i said in the past hours <laughs> like everything that you said like that really helped me to sum up like like what you shared and I know that your narrative is will continue and I'm so excited to continue growing and like being in this journey with you yeah, I'm I honestly 100% mean it when I say like I'm I'm so glad like our paths somehow aligned and um you know we're able to like have this conversation and um yeah like I hope one day probably not in the for the podcast but you know i hope like i can also hear like your story and like um you know your your background and um yeah yeah so thank you for giving me the space to like talk and share who i am and yeah i really appreciate it no thank you for saying yes your yes is my thank you <laughs> as corny as it is but uh really um, to really end off this podcast is what is your favorite Filipino phrase? Um, I was thinking about this one and it's kind of like random um, I like I like the word like nakatulog like I was thinking about it and um, I just have really fond memories of my family like seeing somebody else and like knocked out like sleeping you know like 
um, and saying this and like laughing and so um, and also um, so that's like my personal experience and then uh, it was funny because when I went to the Philippines and um, heard that word and I was like like I, I made that connection um, and seeing it in that context too like someone just like passed out and they're just like oh yeah you know like they said that and like I don't know it, it's like something it, it's like comforting to me like that they're just <laughs> like, this word that really isn't comforting at all but <laughs> like just hearing that um yeah I I would say like that's one of my favorites um aside from like kilikili I think that's just like fun to say I enjoy <laughs> so not really afraid there's always like funny ways when we when people say that and they're not Filipino descent like it's funny how they say it because it's like it's just it's a really uh, a fun a fun a fun word yeah <laughs> as much as also the nakatulog because I feel like there's also peace in that sense yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's very random, but um, yeah, definitely brings me, brings me back to growing up. And I like what to wrap around the podcast episode is just that I am really fortunate enough to have the opportunity to just talk stories and hear your side of the story and narrative. And I know that our narrative, our narrative continues as we continue to go through what we need to go to go through um, in this journey. Um, and this is now uh, is not the end, but I know that it will continue. Uh, whoever will be listening to the podcast will truly take away so much and maybe even get chicken skin as I did as I was just listening to the story <laughs> but um, I wanted to ask before we end because um, if you wanted to share anything that you want to you have the time and do so anything that you're working that you want the audience to know I mean there's so much uh I don't know when this is gonna like come out, but um, yeah, there's a, a Chinese American activist um, whose name is Brandon Lee, um, and he he actually experienced an attempted assassination on his life when I was in the Philippines, and uh, folks I was with knew him, um, and again I don't know when this is gonna come out, but um, on April twenty second. Oh, June? Okay. Um, well, the event will have passed by then, but um, I guess, like, I bring this up because we're constantly trying to raise money to support Brandon in his medical um, needs um, and his recovery. Um, and so, yeah, like, uh, you can always look at the uh, Justice for Brandon Lee, and it's the number four um, Instagram account. Um, there's, you know, ways to support Brandon and other, uh, land defenders in the Philippines. Um, I would say also, like, you know, uh, if possible, join a, a 
grassroots organization, a Filipino grassroots organization in your area. There are so many. Um, that's how I've learned so many of the things that I shared today in this in this episode. Um, you know, building with folks and uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't have anything personal to plug, um, but yeah, <laughs> I would say, I would say that's it. Like, join an organization if you're able. Um, support other uh, human rights activists. Um, yeah, yeah. That's what I would say. <laughs> and to kind of connect everything is just being able to just reach out and really reach out because I feel like that is something that we we struggle the most is reaching out and even if we grew up um, as children of immigrants we grew up of just making it yourself but you have to realize that you can't do that until you reach out yeah yeah and there's always people who can support um in whatever way that looks like for you um yeah it's just about like taking that step towards like seeking that support um and then I think after that you know like I think the rest kind of will fall into place um if you're if you're if you allow it to happen um yeah luckily that's where it led you today is for you to just the people that you met especially the like-minded people um your your narrative is truly colorful thank you and that is it and that wraps up season six episode five on Kami Yamamoto. This podcast, every single time that I bring on people from this show, I not only learn so much about them, but I learn about our community a lot more. And especially with our folks who were born and raised from Hawaii, you really see the trend, the pattern of where our history comes and our sense of similar, what's that word? Similar wavelength, but in just different experiences and time. And for me, when I had this conversation with Kami, one thing that really stood out and I will always continue to echo it and it's gonna repeat in our next guest um, next week is her definition of what it means to reclaim her Filipino identity which is going beyond the normative ideals of what it means to be Filipino and even more than what is essential to who we are it's like being Filipino it's not just what we see on mainstream media it's not just having representation and all that it's truly really being able to hold critical 
discussions and critical dialogues of what it means to be liberated, what it means to be free, because as a nation, as a Filipino, there's just so much to unravel and uncover. And with the work that many Filipinx, Filipino scholars have been doing is it's really being able to decolonize oneself. And with that says, next week's podcast, I'm so, you already know I'm going to say, I'm so excited for you all to hear what he has to say. Because, hint, hint, this person is a doctoral student in the School of Psychology. At, am I going to give a hint of the school at UC Berkeley? <laughs> and without further said ado, that is a little hint of who will be our guest next week. Um, you will definitely be able to think more about what Kami has said in this podcast. So, in all, thank you for listening. And if you could support our platform, if you could support our media company, feel free to donate at our Venmo account at Kasamahan Co. And stay tuned because we'll be having a GoFundMe um, in shortly and to raise kind of funds in helping build our next project, which is creating a short series of more wholesome conversation for y'all. And it's going to be based, yes, in Hawaii. So stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for our GoFundMe. And with all said and due, if you like what you hear on the podcast and for more content for us, consider in donating in our Venmo account at Kasama Hanko. And yeah, thank you guys so much. Thank you all, not only guys, girls, gals, but thank you for so much for continuing to support us in listening and being able to also share our podcast. And yeah, if you want to dialogue with us, feel free to reach us on our email at reclaimingfilipinoidentity at gmail.com and message us on Insta. One of us will probably be on there um, dialoguing with you. And if you want to kind of binge watch our episodes, feel free to listen to us on our podcast, which is on Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and watch in our discussions on mental health cuentos at our YouTube channel, which is changing now to Kasamahanko. Follow us on Insta at Reclaiming, sorry, not Reclaiming, at Kasamahanko. I repeat, Instagram, Kasamahanko. Same thing with our YouTube, Kasamahanko. And we are on Twitter as well, but not as active. But feel free to follow us there at Kasamahanko. And we're finally actually on TikTok. So at Kasamahanko on our TikTok as well. And yeah. Have a great and wonderful rest of your day, afternoon, night, whenever you are listening to this podcast. Stay tuned. See you guys on the next. Bye.